0: Well, good morning, Redemption Hill Church. Um, thanks for uh, tuning in and watching a Sunday celebration. And if you are not a member of Redemption Hill Church and you're watching, in, I just want to say thanks for taking interest in this particular sermon. I hope and pray that it serves you, it ministers to you, and that really um, the God that we talk about every single Sunday and every single day at Redemption Hill Church would minister to your soul this morning. Well, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Jonah 2. Uh, if you don't know, we're in a sermon series called Mercy and Wrath. where We're going through the book of Jonah, and then I'm going to tack on another sermon after Jonah called uh, In the Book of Nahum, where we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Right now, we're talking about just the mercy of God that is shot through the entire book of Jonah, and then we'll talk about what does the wrath of God mean, uh, especially as we read the Old Testament, right? So that's the sermon series, and we've taken three sermons to get through Jonah 1, and we're in this... Uh, unique prayer in Jonah 2. So I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to briefly pray, and then I'm going to get in to the message. Well, join me in reading God's word for us this morning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in, Over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. With what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you just to briefly pray with me as we look at, and before we look at, Jonah too. Heavenly Father, we need your help, just like every Sunday and every day. And your help is indeed um, many, many millions of acts of mercy going on all around us and in our lives. And in this moment, by the power of your Spirit, speak to us through your word teach us, instruct us, encourage us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not know his name, but I'm willing to bet, and I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to bet if I were... (laughs) that you've sang this song, uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, Before John Newton, who authored Amazing Grace, before he was saved by the mercy and grace of the gospel, he lived on the seas as a slave trader, and indeed, uh, his profession is as bad as it sounds. Uh, Born July 24th, 1725, to the son of a seafaring father, John knew the seas, and he knew it well. At the young age of 11, he began to sail. Like, my oldest daughter is nine, and you know, I'm just thinking two years down the road, I, or even a year and a half now, maybe even a year, she's turning 10 soon, right? Uh, I couldn't imagine at age 11 she's, like, traveling the world on the seas as a, as a seafaring person, right? That's just crazy to me. Uh, growing up relatively unreligious, Newton was an outcast. Uh, due to his profession, he spent many days off the west coast of, of Africa, by his own account, Newton, Newton considered himself an apostate, uh, a blasphemer. He, he considered himself an infidel. Newton said, I am capable of anything. He's reflecting on his life, right? I am capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, No, nor, so far as I remember, the least sensibility of conscience. Uh, John Piper recounts that when he was 20 years old, he was put, put off his ship on a small island just southeast of Sierra Leone, West Africa. And so for about a year and a half, he lived as a virtual slave in almost destitute circumstances, which is quite ironic considering his profession, right? Newton's conditions were so bad that African slaves smuggled in food for Newton Well, one day, when Newton's on this small island just southeast of Sierra Leone, um, another English ship kind of comes through, and Newton happens to know the person who's the captain of the ship. And so the captain gets Newton and says, we're going to take you back to England. After boarding the ship, headed back to England, a storm just like pounds on the ship. And this happens for over a day. As a matter of fact, um, this ship is so violent, it's like they're all thinking, we are going to die. We might say, with the book of Jonah, "The the Lord hurled a great wind upon the ship. But we know that God used the storm to jostle this rough and tumble John Newton. Uh, Newton recounts that at 6 p.m. the next evening. So the storm's going on for well over a day. At, at that particular moment, with the storm still raging, he thought there was no hope. And then something happened. Something began to change. He says, he says this, I thought I saw the hand of God displayed in our favor. I began to pray, right? He says, I could not utter the prayer of faith. He didn't, he didn't know what words to say, but he began to pray, he says, I could not draw near to a reconciled God and call him Father. The comfortless principles of infidelity were deeply riveted, right? He, he, knew, he knew his sin. He knew himself to be a sinner. And then the question he asked to himself was this, how to obtain faith? While Newton's faith was new, and that's, I do think that There was a moment of grace being shot through in that moment. While it was new, he did have much to learn about the Christian life, and he would admit that after he was safely on land. But it seems clear to me that he was beginning to see God extend mercy and compassion upon his life during that storm. Years later, Newton was able to reflect upon his personal slavery, his time at sea, And the providence of God in his life. He was able to see how God makes the most detestable individuals into trophies of his glorious grace. Well, thanks for bearing with me through that longer introduction and longer story. If you've been tracking with me throughout the book of Jonah, I'm sure you see similarities from what we saw last week in Jonah's life. And what John Newton went through. We have a person disobeying God, right? In their own ways, of course, but disobeying God nonetheless. One individual did have knowledge of who God is, Jonah, right? Uh, the other one was just rebellion; had not been saved, did not know God. <laughs> we have two people who found themselves on a ship that was simply about to sink. And with both ships, we see the providence of God at work. And in both stories, we see the mercy and compassion of God on display. How the mercy of God was received by Newton and Jonah is a bit different, right? But God's mercy was on display nonetheless. I'm setting up uh, today's passage with Newton's story because of this one word that I have said over and over again. This one word, mercy, mercy. In the Old Testament we often see that word for m- mercy also translated as loving compassion which I like is, I like that as well. So we see God's mercy or, or loving compassion on display and we see it shot through Jonah 2 and in the entire book of Jonah as a matter of fact. In the Greek Old Testament Jonah 117 is the first verse of chapter 2. I did include it in last week's passage, but it actually serves as a bridge into what we see in chapter 2. It's obvious, right? If you, if you read uh, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the giant fish <laughs> swallowed Jonah. The prayer I read came from the belly of the giant fish, right? And before really getting into the details of Jonah's prayer, I... I got to step back and ask a, a greater question that people always ask me regarding this particular story, regarding Jonah and this giant fish. Many people have a picture of a whale in their head, right? And is it true? And uh, I don't want to labor here too long because I, I do think that asking the question actually misses the point of the story. But but because it's asked so often, I think it's important just to address it, albeit Briefly. And I have no interest in extensive apologetics to prove or disprove the validity of the fish. I don't have time. Um, but let me just give you three thoughts as to why I think this particular story um, is true and historical through and through. First, as we saw several weeks ago, uh, Jesus seems to think the story of Jonah, giant fish included, is a historical story. He doesn't discount that a giant fish swallowed Jonah. Um, I think the opinion of Jesus should count for something here. Uh, Second, there's nothing within the book of Jonah to suggest a shift from a narrative, like verse 1, we have the story being said, we have a narrative, and we have no no reason to believe that there's been a shift into like a parable or a myth, right? There's a seamless transition that's taking place between in chapter 2. We see God appointed the fish. That's what we read. And I think we can take that quite literally. We see God at at work. The, The third point about the giant fish, and then you can draw your own conclusions, is this. If you have a problem with a giant fish swallowing Jonah and then spitting him out three days later, then you have no business believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to belittle, I'm not trying to sound harsh, but here's what I'm trying to say. Which is the greater miracle? A giant fish swallowing an individual or a person who is dead raising himself to life? (laughs) What's the greater miracle? I contend it's the latter. So I have no problem at all believing in the historicity and the, the validity of this particular story. So I don't want to linger on that any longer, but I wanted to address it because so many people ask the question. Like I said, it's not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is what, what Jonah says while he is in the belly of the giant fish. The point of this passage is the mercy of God on Jonah's life. In light of everything we saw from Jonah in chapter one, right? He's, he's disobeying. He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. I mentioned over and over again, he was like going away and going away and going away from God, right? Right? Um, he's, he has a self-interest, I think, when he asks the sailors to chuck him over into the sea. Right After all of that, he's thrown in. Jonah finds himself not only physically in a place of despair, but his soul could not be any lower. It's like he was thrown over, and he just kept going down and down and down and down. And here's what we learn from Jonah's prayer. He's kind of the, the big picture the big idea that we can learn from Jonah's prayer. In times of despair, I've been through times of despair. I know you have. To be human is to go through hard times. In times of despair, a prayer to the Lord can be the salvation for your soul. To understand this prayer from Jonah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask three questions. Three questions. Three questions. The answer to these questions will help us map on our lives with Jonah, help us understand Jonah's prayer as a prayer that we could potentially say as well. Um, We're going to understand the tone, the tenor, and the language of this prayer and how it can be instructive when it comes out of our lips. Here are the questions. Where, what, and why? Where did Jonah go when he was dumped over the side of the ship? Right, he uses graphic language to describe his current, his surroundings. Right, and the state of his soul. So where did he go? Second, uh, what purpose did the giant fish serve? Right, like he was swallowed by a giant fish. Wh- what's going on here? What What's the purpose? Um, it's often thought that the giant fish is a means of like discipline for Jonah. I want to ask if this common interpretation is actually true, or is there more going on that we need to see? And so that's the second question. What purpose did the giant fish serve? Third, and the last question I want to ask, why is God so bent on ensuring Jonah goes to Nineveh? Like at this point, you know, if I were God, which thank goodness I'm not, um, I'd be like, I'm gonna, if you're going to be disobedient and flee, you know what, Jonah, I'm just going to get somebody else, Right? Just going to go get somebody else. Right? But why is God so bent on ensuring that it's Jonah who goes to Nineveh? I certainly do not know everything that God was or is thinking, but I think we have some clues to answer the question, why? So those are the three questions. Now, where? Where did Jonah go when the sailors chucked him overboard? Well, he obviously went into the sea, right? That's clear. Jonah uses language to, d- to describe his experience. In verse 2, Jonah says he called out to the Lord from Sheol. Uh, what he is describing is that he, in body and soul, could not go any lower, right? Uh, in, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, Sheol is the place of like, death and judgment. Later in his prayer, he describes his situation as a pit, verse 6. His life could not be any worse. I think that, that is what he is trying to convey, at least in his view of himself, is that his life could not be any worse. And you all know that it doesn't take being dumped into the sea for you to feel like you are in a pit or that you are in a personal shield, uh, the brokenness of the world, right? Perhaps the brokenness within your own life. Um, the pain that you've experienced, the despair that you're in, the, the hopelessness that you're currently a part of. You, you know that just as Jonah knows that. When Jonah had experienced, what Jonah had experienced, you have experienced. But here's what we see with Jonah. He needed to come to the end of himself. He needed to hit rock bottom so that the only possible direction to go in after that is to God. God. I think we see God stripping away from Jonah um, self reliance, independence, and he wants to see he wants Jonah to see what he sees, the depths of his mercy to others. To drive home the point. Notice Jonah's description of his surroundings. It is not of the giant fish that Jonah describes here. It's the sea, verse 3. It's the deep, verse 3. The flood, verse 3. The waters, verse 5. He even says the waves and billows of God um, passed over him. Verse 5 gives us an apt description here. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Hey, could you imagine being in water, in weeds, being wrapped in your head? Wrapped all the way around? I, I imagine actually some of you can. Perhaps not literally, but your soul's been there. What Jonah is describing is that the walls of his life are closing in on him. The walls of the ocean, the walls of his soul were closing in because why? His sin. sin Jonah has sunk so deep it says he's at the roots of the mountains and here's verse 6 at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever it's like he's in this prison you can just sense the despair in Jonah's life it's, it's pastoral c- confession time, right? Uh, my pastoral confession to you. When I first read Jonah's prayer, right? I'm getting through chapter one, and then you read his prayer in chapter two. Uh, several thoughts had went through my head, and I wanted to say some specific things to Jonah. It's almost as if, if Jonah was in front of me, he, this is what I would say to him. Um, hey, stop whining, Right? And uh, your your prayer is a bit pathetic. Like, how how about you ask your God for forgiveness because of your sin? What's going on, Jonah? A lot of this seems kind of half-hearted. <laughs> and the other thing I would say to homeboy is like, hey, you know what? You kind of brought this upon yourself. <laughs> if Jonah was in front of me, I think I I might say that in my own sin. Ironically, I'm going to be honest after studying chapter one and then reading chapter two, I had little uh, to no sympathy for Jonah. Then it occurred to me, (laughs) countless times, I've been like Jonah. In my own way, I have fled the presence of the Lord. I have brought despair upon myself. And I've whined to the Lord about what I have brought upon myself. And through it all, there's been moments where I'm not seeking forgiveness. I just want to get out of my circumstances. But here's what I have learned as I have reflected upon my life and Jonah's prayer. The fact that Jonah and Sean Powers is still able to cry out to the Lord and the Lord is still willing to listen is a gracious act of mercy. Verse 2 is shot through with mercy and hope for the wayward sinner. Here it is. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. So, while in the deep, as the floodwaters close in upon you, as the seaweed circles your neck like a noose, you can call out to your God. Even when your prayer lacks like all the right words or all like the Christianese phrases, you know? Even, even, you don't need that. What you need is a merciful God who's willing to listen. And that is what you have. He is listening. So call out to your God. You know, for all of Jonah's faults, he he never forgot his covenant relationship with God. He never denied the goodness of God. Yes, he did not want the goodness of God and the mercy of God applied to Nineveh, which we'll talk about next week and the week after, but he never personally forgot God's goodness. A few moments ago, I, I quoted verse six about uh, Jonah going so low that he, remember, he saw the roots of the mountains. But here's the end of verse six. Here's, the, here's that last sentence in verse six. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. The end of verse 6 is one of those many but God moments in the Bible. Uh, Here's what I mean when I say but God moments. Through the Bible, and many of you can attest to this in your own life, we read about sinful and broken people who just can't seem to get it right. we we read about imperfect people just muddling their way through life and muddling their way through their relationship with God. Uh, But time and again, we read about a merciful and faithful God who's constantly breaking in over and over and over. Sean Powers can't get it right, but God. You sitting there listening, feel like you can't get it right over and over again. You know what? But God. God is faithful and merciful. That's what we read over and over and over in the scriptures. We, we read about God breaking in to give hope and peace. We read about God who is bigger than the circumstance, who, who, is, who is sovereign over the circumstances. We read about God who is sovereignly working all things together for good for those who love him. Romans 8, Perhaps you're listening and watching, and you are in need for your own but-God moments. If that is you, then this is what I want to encourage you to do with Jonah. Pray. Plead. Cry out to a merciful God who is waiting for you to come to him in prayer. What I know about God and what we read over and over in the Bible God does not have a deaf ear. Actually, He eagerly awaits to listen to your prayers. He eagerly awaits to listen to your cry, to your plea. So that's the first question answered, right? Where did He go? A little bit of what was going on in His soul as well when He was there in the depths, in the pit, in Sheol. So if the focus of Jonah's circumstances is the sea and Sheol, what are we to make of this giant fish, right? And not the apologetics that I mentioned earlier, but in general, what, what is going on? How is God using this giant fish? No, notice, nowhere in this prayer does Jonah say that the fish is the source of his plight, right? He's not complaining about the fish like, like he's talking about the sea. I think Jonah sees the giant fish As a means of God's salvation. The giant fish shows us God's merciful intervention on Jonah's life. Just track with me here. For three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. For three days and three nights, he was able to think upon his actions. There was nowhere for him to flee. He was confronted with his sin. (laughs) For three days and three nights, he was isolated from the world, right? He's not going to go walk down the street and talk to Jack about all the bad things that he did. Like, he's there by himself and God. For three days and three nights, he was alone. Just him and the Lord and, of course, the fish. It says in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord And my prayers came to you, into your holy temple. The giant fish was a means of God's sovereign mercy. It's my view that the needle in Jonah's heart began to move while he was in the belly of the fish, right? Rebellious, uh, the needle's moving from rebellious Jonah to Oh man, I'm at the end of myself, so where do I have, where can I turn, where should I turn? Oh, only to God. And so the needle is moving in Jonah's life. While he wasn't praying in the temple, which he mentions twice in this prayer, and he would have been very accustomed with, his prayer in the giant fish still provided a holy moment for him. You know, there are so many times in life when we go through a trial, and you know, it doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, To some degree, Jonah spending time in the belly of fish makes no sense at all, right? We can just admit it, I'm admitting it, makes no sense. But whether it makes sense or not, there is an innate understanding that what you're going through is from the Lord. That's what Jonah was sensing when he was in the belly of the fish. Like, this is from God. The Lord will put you through a situation so that you can see his mercy and grace. Jonah, Jonah had forgotten God's mercy and grace. And he was beginning to see his mercy and grace while in the belly of the fish, albeit, albeit a bit um, not clearly, right? But it, again, the needle was beginning to shift. And you know, the fish serves as an act of discipline. And out of love, he's being disciplined, Hebrews 12, 6, right? I mean, don't think for a moment Jonah being in the belly of the fish isn't an act of God's gracious discipline. Just as God appointed the great fish, you know, God's doing things in your life. Why? To strip you of your independence. Perhaps it's pride, Um, whatever sin you carry, right? So that you can see his goodness, his mercy, and his grace so that you can see, what does Jonah say? The salvation of the Lord. That's the last line of his prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, the word salvation, in verse 9, or saved, is used in multiple ways in the Bible, right? It can have a spiritual and a physical application. And salvation can mean that God saves a soul from eternal separation in hell and saved for eternal life with Jesus, Right? A salvation can also mean that God delivers a person out of a, like horrific circumstances. Like two two examples immediately come to mind in the Bible. Like uh, Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Right? That's an act of salvation. And then, well after uh, Israel is held is in captivity in Babylon, and God delivers them out of Babylonian captivity. Right? Those are acts of salvation. So it's used in multiple ways throughout Scripture. In both instances, spiritual and physical, Jonah makes the appropriate declaration at the end of his prayer. Salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. That's exactly what he was seeing in the belly of the fish. That's why the fish is a means, a merciful means of salvation for Jonah. Physically speaking, it is God who saved Jonah from the sea Through the fish, spiritually, it's God who is faithful to extend mercy to Jonah. He extends mercy to broken people. And Jonah simply is the case in point. If you're watching or listening, I'm going to put people in two categories here. um, Just briefly, If if you're watching or listening and you're not a Christian, there's actually immediate application for your life from Jonah's declaration. And spiritually speaking, here's what you need to know. Only God can save your soul. Only the God who created and controls the seas has authority to save your soul. It's only God who appointed the great fish that can offer you salvation. You cannot save yourself. I'm sure you've tried. You can't. And if you have tried, you know that you can't. Your good works cannot save you. Allah can't save you. Buddha cannot save you. Uh, Shiva or Krishna cannot save you. The Pope cannot save you. Your pastor cannot save you. Your church, your temple, your synagogue, your mosque cannot save you. Salvation only comes from the gracious and merciful hand of God. If you are beginning to see this truth for the first time, here's what you can do, just what we see with Jonah, you cry out to the Lord, you pray, you plead to the Lord. If you're watching or listening and you are a Christian, there are also immediate application for your life uh, from Jonah's declaration here physically speaking the way out of despair and towards spiritual renewal is acknowledging what you know to be true about God that was what Jonah was beginning to do he was speaking to himself some truth Um, you don't have time to see your circumstances you don't have to see your circumstances as as a plight against your life right you can see your circumstances as the mercy of God at work the giant fish might not seem like the mercy of God like in the moment but that's exactly what it is for Jonah and for us, it is sometimes simply just a matter of perspective, right? We, we want to see things as God sees them, and not as what you know, Sean Powers sees them. The other lesson we can learn from Jonah is that mercy also comes when you renew truth in your heart, and you put that truth onto your lips, and you speak that truth. At the moment Jonah says, salvation is from the Lord, what happens? He is, boom, spit out on to dry land. When you cease to flee from the presence of the Lord in your own way, you experience spiritual renewal. When you cease fleeing from God, you see God's mercy at work. You know, at the Powers House, there are specific, um, let's call them like principles, like we teach our kids. I'm just trying to use our home life as an example to what uh, we see in Jonah here. And here's one of those principles When you do something wrong, you know what? (laughs) Own up. Own up to your junk. Listen, like you and me, kids make dumb decisions, right? But you do not um, compound a bad decision by, by avoiding it or fleeing from it. I would much rather, as a father, see my kids own up to what they did wrong as opposed to hide. What we see in Jonah's prayer is that, he is finally coming clean. He is beginning to own his junk. He, he ceases from fleeing. Now, I think Jonah's repentance is half-hearted. Some scholars think his prayer lacks any indication of repentance. And if you take this view, here's what I think. God's mercy toward Jonah is seen all the more. Nonetheless, however you, whatever you think of his prayer, does it have enough repentance or not? how much of he, is he owning it, uh, we, we do see him turning a little bit. He is owning his sin in his own way. So back to my kids for a moment. When my kids come clean about something that they have done wrong, you know what happens? There's acts of mercy. I, as a father, I want them to see mercy coming from me so that they can understand mercy from their heavenly father. There's a bit of irony here in this passage from Jonah. Especially as we think about mercy or the loving compassion of God. The mercy Jonah experiences from God, you know, so when he begins to own his junk, is what God will extend to the evil and wicked people of Nineveh, which Jonah had a hard time coming to terms with. So we have an imperfect person praying an an imperfect prayer, but we still have a merciful and faithful God. While we will see Jonah finally obey God, the question that remains on the table is this. Will Jonah grasp the depths of God's mercy? Or will Jonah continue to believe that he is the arbiter of how God should extend his mercy? Going back to my question from last week, after Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish is the tension in his soul being resolved, right? I think partially, back again, back to the needle beginning to move. But the needle needs to continue to move in Jonah's life. God is not done teaching this reluctant prophet the profundity of his ways and his mercy. And that's the same thing with us, right? We are imperfect needle. We want the needle in our own lives to continue to move so that we can understand the depths. Of God's grace and mercy. So, I've answered the question of where. Where did Jonah go when he was dumped over to the side of the ship? Uh, into the depths of the sea would be the answer, into Sheol. I've answered the question of what. What purpose did the giant fish serve? It's a means of God's mercy and salvation for Jonah. Now, the last question why? Why is God so bent on ensuring Jonah goes to Nineveh? Like I said earlier, God, why not just use somebody else? And I'll be quick on this last question answer. Here are two reasons why I think God is going to, wants to ensure Jonah goes to Nineveh. First, God isn't content with giving up on his people, on his son or daughter. Out of love, God isn't going to let Jonah flee. He isn't going to let Jonah off the hook. Uh, Think about this kind of relentless love from God. God isn't content with you or Jonah believing in lies. God isn't content with you fleeing from him toward your sin. No, God pursues you, and God will prevail. The question is this, how much pain must you go through before you allow God to prevail upon your heart, right? Surrender. When will you allow your actions to reflect what you believe, right? Nonetheless, God doesn't give up on any of his chosen sons or daughters, nor more than I, as an earthly father, going to give up on my kids. So when, so when will his children stop giving up on God? So God is not done seeing Jonah grow, and his preaching to Nineveh is going to be yet another means of mercy in Jonah's life. The other reason why God is intent on Jonah going to Nineveh is for the good of the Ninevites. Uh, Once again, I must point out the greater story arc in this book. God wants Jonah to preach so that the Ninevites might turn from their wicked and evil ways. God wants them to repent, thus experience his compassion and mercy. And here's the lesson for our local church and for every gospel-loving local church. Do not oppose the work of God. Do not think that you can keep God from extending mercy and compassion to those who do not know Christ. If you find yourself opposing God, you will find yourself in sin just like Jonah. What God wanted from Jonah and what God wants from you and the entire church, you can, see, you can think big C church or a local church, little C, what God wants is joyful obedience to tell others about his mercy and compassion. What we're going to see next week is that Jonah finally obeys God, right? He spit out into dry land and there's obedience setting in. But the next question is this for Jonah. Does he obey because he feels compelled or does he obey the God of his salvation with joy? Again, more heart work needs to be done, done in Jonah and in us. So here are the takeaways from Jonah's prayer. In times of despair, like I said, a prayer to the Lord could be the salvation for your soul. For some, a cry to the Lord might be the spark in your soul that is lit by the Holy Spirit. Your prayer could be the moment of regeneration as you surrender your life to Christ. For others, a prayer to the Lord in the midst of despair might be a rededication to the Lord, right? You're saying, nope, I'm doing this. I'm I'm, I'm for the Lord. You're rededicating in life. Your prayer might be the moment you begin to line up your actions with what you know to be true, with what you believe. It might be the moment when God renews your weary soul. So whatever category you find yourself in, today might be the day to call out to your God, to the God of your salvation. And as we see in Jonah 2, and we know this to be true in our lives, God is listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the lessons that we learn from Jonah too. And just as you continued to work in Jonah's life by the power of your spirit, we want you to continue to work in our lives for our good and for the honor and glory of your name. Amen.